is the Electile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. Way more interesting than anything you're listening to on NPR. Probably less exciting than what you're watching on OnlyFans. Bruh. We're going to talk about the issues that really matter. Our country, our economy, the Fed, QE, GDP, BTC, NFTs, AOC, the CCP, Cardi B, Ow. Yeezy, Yellow Socks, Iran, Joe Biden's dementia, Come on, man. and probably sex robots. We stand for a free and open debate and exchange of ideas. And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Electile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. I'm Ashton Cohen. I'm joined today by Dr. Keith Smith. Dr. Smith is a medical doctor, a expert on healthcare policy and reform, and the co-founder of the Surgical Center of Oklahoma. So we're going to talk about essentially why the healthcare system in the U.S. is so screwed up and expensive. And we should mention, to be fair, you know, we actually do have some of the best doctors and specialists in the world here. And so much of medical innovation around the world happens in the United States. But we have this incredible problem when it comes to costs, probably going to get worse with a potentially looming doctor shortage and the baby boomers sort of reaching their elder years. So uh, we're going to discuss why things are so messed up, what we could be doing differently. And Dr. Smith is the perfect person to ask for that. So really appreciate you coming on, Dr. Smith. Thanks for being with me. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So let's start off with, with a macro overview. The U.S. spends more on health care than any country in the world. Our health care costs as a percentage of GDP are higher than all the advanced nations. Often in case it's double what the other advanced nations spend. And what to you are the biggest sort of contributors of this healthcare cost crisis. What makes why is healthcare so expensive in the United States? What are the biggest factors behind it? Well, first, I, I would caution people to be careful with the statistics that you cited about the percentage of GDP and per capita. You know, a lot of places in the world, the spending um, on medical services is less because the people actually don't receive it. Uh, the, the statistics are also skewed because a lot of babies that are born prematurely are not even given a chance in many foreign countries. Um, they, they, just don't, they just don't utilize and, and spend the necessary resources to attempt to prolong their life or save their life. So here in the United States, um, that is not the approach. And, and that's one of the reasons that, that it's expensive. Having said that, the reason that that medical services are so expensive in the United States is government intervention and government regulation and all of the favors that um, that the auctioneers in Washington, D.C. have passed out over the years uh, to the, you know, the well-funded uh, folks in the healthcare lobby. Um, they're Physicians are partly to blame for this, but the primary uh, blame, I believe, uh, lands uh, on Washington, D.C., and then on the uh, institutions like the hospital lobby, uh, the insurance lobby, big pharma. They all are, um, they are this in-the-middle blob that um, costs so much uh, money and interferes with the normal exchange uh, that would occur between a buyer and a seller. You know, the person um, or the institution that is selling a service and the individual uh, or the proxy buyer who is buying that service. And the problem we have is all these intermediaries uh, that are involved, um, that are profit seekers, and have basically bought these favors in Washington, D.C. Um, so there's this crony um, cartel, basically, 
uh, is what we have in the United States. But that's just half of the of the reason that so much money is spent. Half of the medical service delivery system in the United States is already socialized. If you take Medicare, Medicaid, Indian Health Service and the VA, and you add all that up, that's about half of the system in the United States. So it's already government run, it's already socialized. So we're really only talking about the other half um, of the system. And there, there are very well-connected people who pay a lot of money in Washington to make sure that this system stays dysfunctional because it's that dysfunction from which they derive their profit. The good news is people are people are starting to wake up to this and um, they realize it's a scam. They realize they've been had. Uh, and I'm short term, I'm kind of a pessimist. Long term, I'm very optimistic. Uh, the free market is is there. It's always there and it's reared its head. And uh, even the big dogs in the industry are having to take notice of it. It's, it's a very positive development. One of the criticisms a lot of people have is that they say, you know, our insurance companies, and there's only a few major ones who control the whole market, they're a substantial reason why we have, you know, an inability to know the price of things. They, they make things unnecessarily expensive. We'll start off with them, then we'll go to the hospitals. But with one of the things I always wonder about the insurance companies, so maybe you can explain sort of how that works. What, what are the factors associated with insurance that makes, makes things so unnecessarily expensive? But why, in some cases, you know, you have these hospitals, we've seen it, we've all seen it, like maybe, you know, on the news or we've seen loved ones or deal with it, and there'll be, you know, exorbitant amounts of money for routine procedures, right? Uh, why are the insurance companies okay with that and not trying to cut those costs just out of self-interest. Like, why, why aren't they stepping in and being like, oh, no, you can't charge, you know, 500 bucks for Tylenol or whatever it is, or thousands of dollars for this routine thing that took two minutes to do? Yeah, that, that's a great question. It's actually very insightful. Uh, you've done your homework or you wouldn't have asked that question. I, I actually did a video uh, called the $100 aspirin, uh, which, which really explains this. Um, let's back up to the passage of Obamacare. Um, in that in that bill, there was a requirement that um, insurance companies could spend no more than 30 percent of their revenue on administrative costs. And that clause was placed by the big insurance companies who were at the table because they knew that they could endure that regulation and all of the little companies could not. So if you're a, if you're a gigantic insurance company, 30 percent. Um, medical loss ratio can be absorbed. But if you're a small insurance company, it cannot. And they and the big, you know, big guys knew that. That's why we only have four or five insurance companies left. Uh, that's why they all went away. We had all this consolidation. And whenever you see industry consolidation, you know the black hand of government that's behind the curtain uh, just taking taking bribes. So the way it works is this, a, a hospital that claims to not make a profit, of course, keep in mind, not-for-profit just means doesn't pay tax. That's all it means. So a not-for-profit hospital bills $100,000 for a procedure, probably one at my facility that we would bill 6000 for, and we're making a profit. Um, so they bill $100,000 and blue... Cross, United, Cigna, Aetna, take your pick. They pay that hospital $20,000. Well, that hospital then claims that they lost $80,000. Well, that helps maintain the fiction of their not-for-profit status. And I'll come back to what else they do with that $80,000 fictional loss. 
keep in mind, I would provide the same procedure at my facility, facility anesthesia and surgeon for about 6,000. So when they say they lost 80,000, it's, it is really a fictional bookkeeping entry. The insurance companies um, are happy to play this game. And all of these fees are and rates are pre-negotiated. So none of this is a surprise to either party, whether it's the insurance company or the hospital. The insurance company then goes to the employer group who they probably represented on that claim and said, listen, we got this bill for 100000 from this price gouging hospital. And we rode in on our white horse and we reduced that bill to 20000 We saved you $80,000. And per the terms of our agreement, we share that savings with you at a rate. And it's usually about 28%. So if you think through that, the insurance company is actually mortified that that bill wasn't 200000 because all that would do is maximize their commission. So the insurance companies want no part of price transparency. They want no part of reasonable fees because through this process that's called claims repricing, they skim off of that discount. So that is an additional source of revenue. So if you're a logical person and you think like I did years ago, insurance companies collect premiums, they pay claims, they keep the difference, and that's their profit. It's not that simple. They actually take gigantic bills, apply false discounts to them, and skim part of that discount off for themselves in addition to collecting premiums and paying claims and keeping the difference. So the insurance companies work very closely with the hospitals. The hospitals desperately want to pump out these gigantic bills so that they can report fictional losses and maintain their uh, not-for-profit status. Um, and the insurance companies love those giant bills. That's why they hate me. They love those giant bills. Wow. Yeah, it's a total scam. Uh, and there's more. So the hospital, having claimed this $80,000 loss, throws all of these fictional losses in a big bucket and ship it off to Washington, D.C., where our legislators and Medicare actually pay them a kickback to the extent that they claim that they claim these losses. And that's what's called uncompensated care. It's also called disproportionate share hospital uh, payments or dish payments. Um, I learned this in a heated discussion one time with a normally um, pretty close vested hospital administrator who asked me how much of my revenue at Surgery Center of Oklahoma was uncompensated care. And that really confused me because uncompensated care is care you would deliver for which you're not compensated. No. It's uncompensated care is a significant revenue item, and it is derived from claiming all of these fictional losses. So that that is about as quickly as I can explain that, that scam um, in a nutshell. Now, the brokerage houses and the brokers who sell these insurance plans are also in on the scam because they are paid uh, typically at the end of the year a commission that is a percentage of claims. So if an employer has a terrible year and they have many, many multi-million dollar claims, the brokers are popping champagne corks because Blue United Signa Aetna, take your pick. They are paying that broker a percentage of the claims made on any particular employer group that that broker is associated with. So 
let's say I'm an employer, I have 100 people working for me, I go through a broker to get Blue Shield or something for all my employees. Is that right? I go through an independent that's right. broker? Or, okay. That's right. Or, yeah, and so the broker is paid a commission based on what sort of a disastrous experience you've had with Blue Cross. Say my employees racked up, it was a bad year, they racked up a, you know, a million dollars worth of, of health care payments. So then the broker gets, that's good for the broker because the broker will get a percent of, of that million. Is that how it's calculated? A percentage of the claims made. That's exactly right. And the reason for that is Blue, United, Signet, and take your pick. They are going to take those numbers and they're going to come back to that employer and they're going to say, you know, next year, because of last year's disastrous experience, your premiums are going up 20 percent and the broker gets a piece of that. So uh, it's it's just it's horrendous. It's awful. And, and the and the enemy of this scam is the light of day and the light of day in this industry has taken the form of visible Pricing. So now a patient can look on a website, Surgery Center of OK, SurgeryCenterOK.com or the Free Market Medical Association. How much is a hernia repair? How much is a tonsillectomy? How much is a gallbladder surgery? How much is a cochlear implant or a total knee? Take your pick. And they have a number. And it's not just the number for the hospital or the surgery center. It's the number. It's the cash out the door, all inclusive number. And then they can go to their local hospital and say, you know, here's here is fifty eight hundred and sixty five dollars for a for a gallbladder removal. Uh, can you match that? Well, hospitals are not used to that. They do right. not want to compete. They do not like that. But they also know if they don't match it, that patient is going to walk out and get on an airplane and fly to Oklahoma City or Indianapolis or any number of places where prices are transparent. So half of the patients that I see at Surgery Center of Oklahoma come from out of state for exactly the reasons that I just uh, that I just stated. And employers will pay all of their travel costs to come see me and pay 100 percent of the bill. The patient has no out of pocket just to avoid the price gouging hospital down the street. That doesn't happen very many times before that hospital begins to step up and match because, you know, it's going to get out of control if they don't. So that, that's what the market is doing in this country, in the industry, and that's why I am optimistic. I'm seeing this every day. Surgery Center of Oklahoma is the beneficiary of the predatory pricing of many hospitals. It's been great for us, but we really are on a mission to make sure that even the price gougers begin to toe the line and just quit ripping people off. Yeah. So, I mean, the example you gave of, uh, you know, first of all, we, we've seen many times the nonprofit work can be very profitable. And it reminds me of, of one of the one of the great sort of tax scams that rich people do where they'll like commission artists to to paint something. It'll get appraised by one of their buddies for, you know, $20 million for a piece of shit, a little artwork. And then they'll <laughs> donate to a foundation. Then they get to write off $20 million off their taxes. It's, it's kind of a very, very similar scam. The reason why we haven't had price transparency pretty much anywhere until recently now you start to see more of it is because of this sort of people's you know the different industries interests aligning right with the hospital's insurance that there was no reason to to have price transparency because everyone was sort of making making money off this good deal is, is that why that developed there, that's one yeah. major reason is that everyone's trying to maximize their revenue in this industry instead of actually provide a value 
Uh, and they're able to do that because the competition is limited through certificate of need and licensing laws and all the other right. stuff. There's another reason. Um, in insurance contracts, invariably, there is a clause that says, you know, it's Blue United, Sigma, Aetna, and Medicare has this too. You may not offer anyone a price lower than the one negotiated in this contract. Mm, all right. Okay. Or your contract is null and void, and then you are now out of network with Blue United Signet Aetna. That's unreal. So, so there, the carriers actually, insurance companies reach across, they reach across the line to tie the hands of uh, the institutions, the surgery centers and the doctors. I don't have any insurance contracts at Surgery Center of Oklahoma. We've never taken a dime for Medicare. Um, we just don't do business. We think we think all, the government doesn't have any money that is not stolen property. And so we don't accept stolen property as payment. So that's how we look at it. We don't have any insurance contracts. And so none of that applies. There, There is some talk about preventing insurance carriers from placing those clauses uh, in the contracts and uh, binding the people who sign those contracts I don't know how I feel about that. I think people just ought to stop signing those contracts and stop dealing with those goons. Um, that that's what we decided to do. So, right. yeah. And so to put a final point on that, so your doctor, so it's 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 a weird like it's a, it's a it's not even a price. It's like a floor price control, which is which is like a, I don't know. It's a cross between communism and crony capitalism. It's very odd. So you go to a doctor and he and if he's taking your Blue Shield insurance or whatever, and he can't give you the service for less than whatever Blue Shield says he can give you, and if he if he disobeys his master, then they'll just cut him off, and now he can't take any more Blue Shield patients. That's just right. For giving and a lower price. That is exactly right. And Unreal. so envision envision the patient in the waiting room, and you know they they really cannot afford uh, this outrageous insurance unless unless they embrace some crazy deductible amount that they can't even come up with. So somebody's thinking, you know, the only way I can afford this crazy insurance is if I have a $5,000 deductible. And and I don't know how I'm going to come up with the 5000 but I darn sure don't know how I'm going to come up with the $1,500 a month I'm going to have to pay to have this policy. So this patient is in the physician's office, and the physician would like to offer that patient a price that they can afford, but he can't. He has to he has to inflict the insurance company rate on them. Even um, on non insured what if they're non insured? Then can he make a special deal with them? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, if they if they are not uh, bound uh, to a contract with a carrier, they can't. Now some some lawyers have made the case that insurance is there for the patient to use or not use as they see fit. So that's why they're called beneficiaries. Um, and so they can use it or not. But the physicians who are contracted with that uh, insurance carrier, they have to be careful uh, that they don't extend too much charity, you know, to a patient who maybe is, is having some trouble um, in one way or another. Isn't there also a rule when it comes to like pharmacy where if you tell them you have insurance, they have to have it at a certain price. But if you don't tell them that you have insurance, then they can give you, a, you know, maybe a lower price. That's correct. And that's what I advise all patients is you first ask for a cash price. Don't ever 
Don't ever tell someone that you're saddled with Blue United Cigna Aetna. Don't ever reveal that because you're immediately placed at a disadvantage and a financial disadvantage. Just say, I'm a cash payer. How much is my lisinopril? You know, how much, you know, for, you know, for whatever drug. And the price that they'll tell you is astonishingly low. Yeah. And in, in the surgery context, so I understand it. Let's say, you know, there's a surgery that you need. It's going to cost, let's say, $20,000. Okay. And then you have, let's say, a $10,000 deductible. So it'll be $20,000, let's say, you know, with insurance maybe. And then, so then you'd be on the hook for 10 grand. But then they can go to a place like you or someone else and you're going to be charging like one third the price. So they, in that situation, sort of makes sense just with the cash deal because of that high deductible and because, you know, if they're making a claim, maybe their insurance goes up, you know, next year. Is that kind of the calculus for a lot of people? That is. And and we will file a claim uh, for a patient as a courtesy. They pay us our fee and then we will file a claim for them or give them the information they need to file a claim. And sometimes the insurance company will actually reimburse that patient. So they get some of that money back. Um, or at least help them meet their deductible. But that's hit or miss. As the insurance companies are more and more aware uh, that patients are going outside of the system and outside of the network, they're digging in pretty hard and they're not wanting to honor any sort of claim uh, that's made in that way. Hmm, I see. And with with respect to this price transparency stuff, it it seems to be like the last few years where I've, I've sort of heard of it become a, f- a phenomenon. You think is this something that many hospitals are doing, or a small percent of our country's hospitals? In two thousand nine, um, I launched our website and put all of our surgical prices um, on a website, put it online, and I had three goals. Uh, I wanted the people who actually bought medical services who had sticker shock. I wanted them to better be able to find us. Um, I also wanted to start a price war. I wanted that not-for-profit hospital to account for 10x what I charged. Um, and the third thing I wanted to do was better understand the scams that were at work. Because I'm a free market guy. I mean, if you're cheaper and better in the United States, in any other industry, right. then there's a lot of demand. I mean, there should be a line around the block for what we do. Um, and there and there wasn't. I mean, so there was something wrong. The market was being thwarted and I didn't understand it. And I don't pretend to understand all of the scams, but I understand some of the ones which I've described a little better than I did. So in an almost last act of defiance, I launched a website in 2009, put all of our prices online. And the first patients that arrived were Canadians. Well, that's interesting. You know, they all have insurance. They have government insurance. They just don't have access to the care that so many of them need. So here come the Canadians. Here came the uninsured. um, Here came the self-funded employer groups. Here came the cost-sharing ministries. Um, And so that, and here came the people that had insurance, but whose deductible was multiples of my entire all-inclusive price. So this, this really became a movement. Uh, and we started um, we started seeing patients traveling in from other states, and there were hospitals who were getting their pocket picked by this website launched by this surgery center in Oklahoma City. Then there were some legislators and some think tanks that got very interested, and we got some national news coverage and some real notoriety. And next thing I know, I'm connected to an economist at Vanderbilt named Larry Van Horn, and this is his passion is 
patients who are being bankrupted uh, with unreasonable fees. Well, the next thing I know, um, this guy named Donald Trump gets elected and he calls Art Laffer, famous for the Laffer curve, and says, we, we've got to do something about these uh, medical prices. And Laffer says, you need to talk to Larry Van Horn. He's the expert. Well, Larry Van Horn basically crafts and writes the executive order that Trump signed that mandated uh, the hospitals had to post their prices. Um, I got invited to that signing ceremony, and I was there. And, and it was very significant. I'm actually against all government mandates, including that one. And Larry and I have had some very spirited conversations about that. But the one thing I'll say is that executive order changed the narrative. You know, up until that happened, a lot of people, you included, had not heard about the, even the possibility that a price could be posted online. Right. What a concept. Yeah. And I, and I had a tinfoil hat on my head for having done so. Yeah. And so now, now the narrative has changed. Now, now a lot of people in the United States are wondering why in the world can't they tell me how much my colonoscopy is going to be? You know, why can't they tell me how much my ear surgery is going to be? And so now the light is shining on the price gougers and, and those right. who are resistant. So most of the hospitals in the United States have ignored this executive order and are not posting their prices or the prices they are showing are meaningless. Um, and so this is going to be a continual battle. Uh, but those who are willing to step up and say, like every other industry in this country, here is what I do and here is what I charge for it. They are really going to increasingly distinguish themselves in the marketplace. And I believe the American people who are great shoppers and they know a value when they see it, and they usually know a scam when they see it, they are going to patronize those who value them as customers and don't just see them as prey to um, you know, for these predators. Right. And there just needs to be a little bit of an opening, which which is kind of where we're at right now. And then the floodgates can open. You know, we've seen this other industries that were very, very regulated taxis come come to mind right and then like as soon as uber started going it just it, it became it became a the unstoppable phenomenon we've seen that with a few other stuff as well one of the interesting things and i was having a conversation with somebody last week is they were talking about how they and people they know they'll go to mexico mexico is like the height of like crony capitalism but in terms of being able to buy like prescription drugs you can just pay like you know a tenth of the price it doesn't involve insurance you're in you're out and so it's just amazing that america is so much more you know, dysfunctional in that respect than, than a place like Mexico, right? Which is, you know, the height of, of dysfunctional governments in, in this hemisphere. What do you think could change? So assuming, well, we'll start off here. If you agree with the premise that we should have, you know, insurance, health insurance companies in, in the United States for maybe, you know, ex crazy uh, unforeseen events that are going to cost a lot of money. Like how would the you sort of set the system up, what would make most sense in order to stop these negative externalities associated with our healthcare insurance system? Well, the government uh, just needs to start examining all that it has done and start repealing all that it has done. Because it's the, it's the government intervention that has provided the opportunity for the sleaze bags uh, to just rip the American people off. So now, all of the legislation that Washington has passed in the last 50 years that pertains to medical services has directly contributed to lining the pockets of the cronies and, and taking money out of American people's wallet. 
if you could also include the your sort of view of the Affordable Care Act, how that also has has made things worse in your in your minds. Yeah, I mean, the Affordable Care Act is one of those bills like like HIPAA. You know, the privacy HIPAA has nothing to do with privacy, and the Affordable Care Act. We all, in my end of the world, we call it the Unaffordable Care Act. You know, it, it didn't have anything to do with affordability. It drove prices through the roof because it caused a consolidation of the hospitals. I'll tell you a, a story I, I heard uh, from an insider who was at the table when Obamacare was first ponied out. So when when Obamacare was first proposed, everyone in the industry was opposed to it. And they all got together and they were in D.C. There was a big round table. All of the industry representatives were there in locked armed kumbaya opposition. Well, one by one, those chairs started to empty and people started asking questions. Well, where did the American Hospital Association go? We thought they were against this. Well, the American Hospital Association has been very, very threatened by physicians owning hospitals. So the Obama administration knew that. So they said, listen, we know you're opposed to this, but we would like to get your support. What will it take? We were kind of thinking if we banned the construction or expansion of physician-owned hospitals, that would help. And the American Hospital Association said, you have a deal. And wow. then they were, no, they were no longer in opposition. Well, the insurance companies said, you know, what we would like to do is limit our competitors. So they said, well, why don't we just have a um, medical loss ratio that will put the little guys out of business and then you four will have it all to yourselves. You have a deal. So and then if you look at United stock price uh, before and after Obamacare, that is a shocker. Then sure. big, big Pharma, Big Pharma. Said, well, where did where did those guys go? So the Obama administration called Big Pharma in and said, listen, so many drugs are going generic that we don't really see, you know, prescription drugs as being a great source of profit for you going forward. What we see as real profitable for you are specialty drugs. And Big Pharma said, well, yeah, yeah we would admit that's correct. And your real problem is competition from foreign manufacturers. And yeah, that's right. Well, why don't you support Obamacare and we will just ban foreign imports of specialty drugs for 20 years? And Big Pharma thought that was a good deal. They shook hands. Big Pharma walked away from the table. And the next week, the FDA declared all foreign biologic drugs unsafe. So that's how this stuff happens. And so, you know, what's wrong with what's wrong with the prices of specialty drugs? That deal. Now, I mean, what's wrong with the price of insurance? Obamacare. Um, it, and I'm not a system fan. Um, I, I don't I don't like the idea that a system um, is good for everyone. Now, my friend Jeff Dice at the Mises Institute says, you know, we don't talk about a food system. You know, we don't we don't talk about a shoe system. I mean, the, you allow the market to work. And, and those who satisfy the preferences of buyers, um, they do well. And those who guess incorrectly and don't bring value to the buyers, they go out of business as they should. So 
you know, when you talk about a healthcare system, um, I think we really need to be skeptical of any sort of system answer because a one size fits all. Um, I don't think it's a good approach. Right. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And you know, one one of the the most problematic aspects of all this is it's as you mentioned, so much removed from being a free market. It's very much you know it's closer to a Chinese model than it is to a a American yep. capitalist model where you have a few favorite corporations who control the old policy, write all the regulations. You know, everything that needs to be run by them in order to get their buy in, and it's it's disgusting. And it also makes people think, oh, well, this must be a capitalism problem, and therefore we should go with socialized free healthcare. But it's it's, it's not. The, the, the whole, as you're mentioning, the whole problem is the the government's manipulation of this otherwise free market, just like we see in education, who have just you know, driven these costs through the roof, created bad incentives, and, and we're all paying the price. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, it's not the failure of the free market. It is the absence of the free market that has resulted in in the parts of this medical world that everyone hates. Um, and I think that's important for everyone to hear and really acknowledge and own because then it really makes no sense to throw the keys and the whiskey bottle to Uncle Sam uh, because it's just they've been so unreasonable um, and, and so irresponsible. And that's the reason it looks like it does. Right. And I, I think the time is kind of ticking for, for this to have solutions to all of these problems because one of the things I've been reading, and, and I'd like to see your opinion on this or your analysis on this rather, you hear a lot about we're having this massive primary care physician shortage coming up, as well as a shortage with non-primary doctors in the tens of thousands of each category, as well as baby boomers who are the second biggest generation, all reaching you know their 70s and 80s at the same time over this next coming decade. So that's going to put a lot of stress on our on our healthcare system. And if we, we don't fix anything with the price, I can't even imagine what that does to us economically. One of the factors that people attribute to this doctor shortage is burnout. There's, you know, they do studies on this. I, I saw one by, who was this? The Mayo Clinic saying that doctor burnout, physician burnout is like at all time high, 20, 30% more than it was just a few years ago. Is a lot of that associated with the, just having to do all this nonsense with respect to dealing with insurance companies and billing and all that and taking away from their ability to actually spend time with their patients and, you know, actually deliver care. And instead they're being, their attention is being diverted towards dealing with all this miscellaneous administrative stuff. Yeah. So there, there are two primary components in my opinion of burnout. One is what you just described equally as important, if not more so, is the hospital employment of physicians. So hospitals buy physician practices, they employ doctors, and then then the physician inevitably faces a dilemma. Do I do what is appropriate for this patient in front of me, or do I do what my employer has told me to do? To be more specific, Let's say you're a primary care doctor and you are a hospital employee and the best general surgeon in town to take somebody's gallbladder out or remove their colon cancer is not an employee of that hospital. Well, if you're an employee of that hospital, you are basically required to refer in the family to a surgeon who works for that hospital, even if you know for a fact, he's not very good. He's darn sure not as good as this guy across town that is not affiliated with your hospital. 
So that is the situation that is, results in what is being referred to now as moral injury, where as a physician, I cannot properly advocate for this patient in front of me who has placed their trust in me to do just that. So it feels fraudulent. It feels awful. And if even if people won't admit it, it's right. there. It's under the circumstances. Mm-hmm. It does. So the hospital employment of physicians, which, by the way, the federal government subsidizes. People should know that a doctor who works for a hospital is paid double. And the hospital is paid double for the services they provide of that of a doctor who does not work for a hospital. So Medicare pays through the nose for physician services to hospital-employed doctors. Now, the doctors don't get it, but the hospitals use that money to hire more doctors. So once again, once again, very distorted uh, labor market uh, for physicians in the country. And once physicians become hospital employees, they realize, oh, my gosh, this is not what I signed up yeah. for. I want out of here. And, of course, the hospitals make it very difficult for them to exit. So, yeah, the daily grind, dealing with insurance companies, not seeing patients, and then also being an employee of an institution that only cares about revenue and could give a hoot about whether that patient is, is getting the best care. That's, that's tough. And what do you make of the criticism that these incentives where these hospitals get so much more money for you know, certain surgeries can lead to basically, maybe not even in, in most cases, a, a malignant motivation or a immoral motivation necessarily, but they're more incentivized to maybe do things that, that will get them paid, right? So that aren't maybe necess- necessary. No, it's absolutely true. It's worse than that. Hospitals actually make more money when everything goes wrong. So, you know, the complicated case where the patient ends up in the ICU and they shouldn't have gone there, that just gins up the hospital charges. They just make more money. So they're not only in the incentives are really just completely wrong. They're not only incentivized to do things they ought not to be doing, but they have no incentive to ensure that any sort of quality is attached to that. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's that old, uh, Charlie Munger quote, show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcomes. So when you have these sorts of awful incentives, you're going to get awful outcomes and it's our health that suffers. Well, and the accountability, I mean, show me the accountability and I'll show you the outcomes. Um, Ambrose Bierce famously defined accountability as the mother of caution. So, you know, in my world, I mean, we don't have any insurance contracts. People come to see us because they want to come see us. And if we don't deliver, they don't come see us and then we go away. So we've decided, you know, we're going to put our reputation and our skills out there for the market to judge. And that's exactly what the hospitals and the insurance companies have paid so much money to prevent. They do not want to be in that competitive game where they're judged on results. They want no part of that. With respect to the doctor shortage, and I'll ask you a couple more, a couple last questions on this bit. You know, one of the things that you know, my girlfriend is, you know, went through, she's a scientist, she went through the PhD program and all that. So she has, you know, she works at UCLA Medical School. And uh, one of the things I went through to law school, so there isn't actually like a quota on, unfortunately, for, probably for lawyers, there should be a quota, but there is a quota on, on medical school applications, how many students can, you know, get accepted to, to MD programs. Do you think... That needs to change 
in, particularly in light of a doctor shortage and a, a real aging crisis that we're or real aging demographics that we're having in this country? Yeah, I'm not. I'm a I'm a big fan of the market, uh, and I'm not a fan of the ACGME, which determines all of those all of those numbers. Um, I think an apprenticeship uh, sort of situation makes more sense. You know, if you have a you have a practice of endocrinologists, orthopedic surgeons, and you know they feel like you know we need we need to get some help. Um, so you know, let's provide an apprenticeship sort of uh, situation for someone someone who's in training, or let's sponsor a, a sharp kid who's graduating from medical school and wants to go into orthopedics. Let's sponsor them um, into some sort of a training program where it's not federally funded. Uh, the ACGME is federally funded. And so, again, you know, this is a real market distortion that is created uh, by the government. I think what we're going to see, we'll see a lot of non-physician people providing care. We'll see more and more physician assistants. We'll see more and more nurse right. practitioners. And that's going to be the market response um, when someone doesn't want to wait six months, you know, to be seen for, you know, this or that ailment. That will be the market response. That makes sense. And we're seeing a little bit of that. So what gives you sort of most hope about our healthcare system going forward? And what gives you most sort of consternation about it? Yeah, I think I'm most hopeful because the narrative has changed. Uh, this whole idea of price transparency even being possible, uh, much less being present, uh, that's a real positive change. Uh, I'm also hopeful because the free market does what the free market always does. Um, it crushes and exposes everyone that, that tries to get in its way. Uh, I think I'm hopeful, too, because here in Oklahoma City, the same hospitals that tried desperately to put me out of business are now vendors of mine. So when a patient reaches out to me and says, I've got a brain tumor, can you help me? Well, I can't take care of them at an outpatient surgery center, but I'll call one of these hospitals that previously tried to crush me and say, do you want to help this guy from Florida? Well, yeah. And so we'll put a price together and, you know, I'll make sure that patient gets over to a talented surgeon at one of these big hospitals. So we are seeing those who have resisted this most viciously actually come on board and participate, even though they're staying in the closet. Um, look at, you should do an internet search. Look at UCLA cash pricing. Years ago, when I put the website um, out for everyone to see, I received many inquiries from people who wanted to copy us and ask, can we copy your website? Can we borrow your web designer? And I was happy to. UCLA did not ask, but UCLA copied my website. If you look, there's a body, there's circles, you click on it, and the writing on the website is word for word. My web designer said you should sue them. And I said, well, no, because then afterwards there will be some gag settlement and I want to make fun of them like I'm doing right now. <laughs> So, yeah, look up UCLA cash pricing on one screen and on your other screen, look at surgerycenterok.com and you'll see real similarities. You'll actually see word for word they copied it. That's the kind of stuff that gives me hope. That's the kind of stuff that makes me optimistic because, you know, they've copied what we've done. And they haven't done that at UCLA because they're really nice people. They've done that because so many people from California were traveling to places like mine to get their yep. care. The most cons the most thing that always creates the most consternation is the federal government and 
Whenever somebody from government tells me they want to help me, that's when I really start shaking. That's when I know, you know, we're going to have problems. Um, but I think that I think there is an awakening in a way. I think that the, there are people in government who know that they need to start undoing what they've done and leave town and just apologize to every house they pass on the way and just beg for forgiveness. Um, and I think there's more and more uh, awareness that, that they're, they're the real problem, um, but they're always the problem. Government at all levels is always the problem. Leave, yeah, we'll, we'll leave on an optimistic message then. Uh, Dr. Smith, that was a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for being with me. Where can people find more, learn more about you, more about your, your practice? Uh, specifically about uh, me or the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, that's surgerycenterok.com. Uh, we're on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. Um, if, if people want to keep their finger on the pulse of this entire movement in the country, the Free Market Medical Association is worth checking out, fmma.org. Um, that's a that's the tent under which all like-minded folks in this movement gather. Cool. And we'll put that in the, uh, in the podcast notes so that people can find it. Thanks again Thank for you. coming on. Really, that was a really, uh, I feel like I learned a lot. I think the audience probably did as well. So really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed our show, please click subscribe to stay up to date with our YouTube channel and podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can keep delivering guys some great content. Thanks for listening and we will be back next week. We're going to talk about the issues that really matter. Our country, our economy, the Fed, QE, GDP, BTC, NFTs, AOC, the CCP, Cardi B, Ow. Yeezy, Yellow Socks, Iran, Joe Biden's dementia, Come on, man. and probably sex robots. We stand for a free and open debate and exchange of ideas. And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started.